Hey everyone, it's Rob with the Four Songs. Happy New Year. I know it's been a while, and as you're going to find out, it's going to be a while before my next episode. In fact, I'm going to make a bit of a reference here to describe kind of where I'm going with this thing, and depending on your age, it'll either make all the sense in the world or no sense at all. Anyway, here we go. So if you're of a Gen X era like me, you may remember a movie called Pump Up the Volume with Christian Slater. The gist of the movie is that Christian Slater was one of those teen angst kids who gets moved around a lot with his family. Long story short, he is given a ham radio from his dad, and he starts a pirate radio station in which he just comes on whenever he feels like it, talks about everything going on in his life, how much he hates school, this or that, and your typical Gen X movie about a loner who doesn't like school. Anyway, it's been a long time since I've seen this movie, and there are two things, though, that I remember. The first is that he played a song by one of my favorite bands when I was that age. The band is called The Descendants. The song is called Wiener Schnitzel. It's a silly little 10-second song about takeout food, and it's hilarious. It's perfect. It is The Descendants. The other thing I remember was a line by one of the characters describing Christian Slater's show. He basically says something like, you never know when he's going to come on, and you don't know how long he's going to go on for. He might be on for five minutes or five hours. Well... Welcome to the future of four songs. I don't know when I'll be back. I know I will be back. It could be a couple days. Not likely, but it could be. It could be a few weeks, more likely. Or, you know what, it could be a few months. I don't know. I know I got stuff coming up, but it's just been a lot going on right now, and I will get to it when I can. I'm not quitting. I'm just going to be on a weird little, I don't know. It's just going to come up when it comes up and the best way to stay tuned and not miss anything is to subscribe follow me on twitter at four songs two or find me over on instagram which i think is also at four songs two anyway it is quite appropriate then that i kind of enter this transitory state with my next guest mark bingham mark is not a household name but boy has he been around them his whole career mark's been in the biz for 50 plus years and in fact is in the midst of an ambitious project to release 22 albums that he's written over the course of these past 50 years. Now, just a bit of background, Mark is a guitarist, a songwriter, an arranger, and a producer. He's an in-demand kind of tech musician, studio guy who's kind of always in the background on some pretty big rock moments. Think of R.E.M. out of time. Think of Losing My Religion. Yeah, he played a role in that one. Think Dr. John. Think Marianne Faithful. We're talking some of the biggest names in the rock business. Mark's been around them. So as I said, Mark is in the midst of releasing 22 albums over the course of his 50-year career through Nouveau Electric Records. Nouveau Electric Records is owned by Louis Michaud of the Lost Bayou Ramblers. You may remember Louis has been on this podcast a couple of times, both to talk about the Lost Bayou Ramblers, but also his side project called Michaud's Melody Makers. Mark Bingham plays guitar in Michaud's Melody Makers. Now, i got to give you a bit of background about the albums we talk about. When I did this interview back in November, after Thanksgiving, they had just released the first two records. The first one is called Goose and Neck, and the second one is Mushroom Crowd. From Goose and Neck, we talk about two songs. The first one is called I-K-N, or I Know Nothing. Unfortunately, I kind of butchered it in the interview, and I called it I-N-K, because I couldn't read my own handwriting. 
The second song is For Nothing, which is what he would call a faker's field song. It's, you got to just kind of listen to the interview. I can't really give it much more detail than that. The second album that we talk about is Mushroom Crowd, which couldn't be any more different, any more trippier. It's dub, it's trip-hop, it's uh, you name it, it's got it. We talk about two songs from Mushroom Crowd, the first one being Boneless Jesus, and the second one being one of the most innovative songs about dog delivery here called Dog Speak. Now, I also want to mention that since this interview, Mark has released two additional albums under this project, which I will try to link to in the chat. <laughs> chat. I will link to in the biography and wherever I have this thing posted so you can find them. The best way to, to get a hold of these records is through Nouveau Electric Records. You can get them on Amazon.com. But it's not every day you talk to someone who has brushed shoulders with people like Graham Parsons and Chris Hillman of the Flying Breeder Brothers, Michael Stipe, Dr. John. I mean, again, this guy's been around it all. He's seen it all. And I'm pleased to welcome Mark Bingham to Four Songs. Thank you, Mark, for joining me for this episode of Four Songs. I hope you're having a good night. Yes, indeed. You've been with Michaud's Million Makers, among many other bands within the past within the past year or so. That you know, Louis and his, his band have, have been out there trying to keep the music going in spite of everything we're going through, and which I think may have led to this compilation that we're talking about. The, your twenty-two year, twenty-two rather record retrospective coming out on Nouveau Electric Records. So, wondering if we can just talk a little bit about that project first and we're talking about a, two albums and songs specifically that are coming out well you know my job for the most part over these last number of years is to be you know a hyphen hyphenette in music which is i didn't do any one thing well enough to make a living therefore i could play, I could sing, I could write, I could arrange, I could produce, I could engineer. All of that totally made it so I could just do music pretty much every day. In the meantime, I was making a lot of recordings of my own music. And mostly I was working for other people. So sometimes these would come out in a limited fashion. Sometimes they would not come out at all. So eventually... There was a lot of work there. And there were albums going back to the 70s that had been licensed here in Japan and Chicago and wherever. And now it was all, all the licenses were up and it was like, well, okay, we'll just get all this music out again. And at the same time, I was doing new music and like the la the first two records that we put out, one was finished maybe eight years ago, and the other one was finished. But it seemed in a beautiful way, like a completely absurd thing to do to put out 22 records in a year. <laughs> you know, that's like, yeah, okay, um, why not? And you indicated earlier that, you know, most of a lot of your work, you've been working for the musicians as a producer, that you, you, you done another recordings as you were, you were talking about, but you've worked with some of the biggest names in the world. R.E.M. and Marianne Faithful, Dr. John. I mean, this may be an impossible question to answer, but did or did you pick up on any songwriting tips from, from these folks that you worked with as, as you were working on your own material? I mean, were there things that you just 
kind of pick up as you are around them? I'm just curious about how that must how that, how that influenced oh, your, your work. Definitely. Well, I think when I started out as a, when I was in a teenager, and I got to see a number of people put songs together in the studio, even the doors, and they were having a terrible time. But I, I can understand song structures. And yeah, I think everyone that I ever worked with, I could learn from them. And Mac Rabinac, Dr. John, definitely learned a whole lot from him. And he thought a lot of the stuff that I did was kind of funny. He'd, if I was playing something for him and he was going to play, he'd be, he'd give me that side eye, like what? You know, he was very, um, I can't say conservative, but he, he, he did things the way they were supposed to be done. As a, you know, a, he was a strict uh, musician in that sense, and had an amazing year, and uh, and he was like the song is the song and that rules and the rest of it is just frosting hmm. well how would you describe your and, approach then oh well i mean i never know i just make work every day and sometimes it takes 30 years for it to turn into a song Sometimes if somebody has a piece and you can work on it and try to work on it really fast, I think I understand constructing music and you could construct a song every day of your life, but that doesn't mean it's going to be worth singing or playing. So sometimes I'll take tracks, like I'll play the drums, I'll record it, and then I'll cut out parts I don't like and make something out of it that feels on a rhythmic level, like a song structure. And then I'll, I'll make something against that. And it might take me ages to figure out what that song is about. And sometimes like I sit down a lot and I work on, I write lyrics just cold on a pad or in the computer. And those eventually get put to music. So for me, it's, all kind of ways. I'll play the piano and I'll come up with things. I play the guitar. You know, I put new guitar strings on and I suddenly I hear everything differently and make a new piece. Well, we'll start with Gooseneck, which, as we mentioned, was released about eight years ago. I think 2014 is what I saw in some of the promotional material. And we'll talk about two songs from the album, I-N-K or Ink and For Nothing. And before we talk about those two songs, though, I just wanted to get your thoughts on the album itself. I think in the notes I was reading about it, and you use a really funny term to describe some of the songs, like a fake faker's field was the one that stood out to me. And um, <laughs> why? Because I, I hear, a lot, and obviously country comes out in a lot of this, but there are so many, you're doing so much more to it than just making something sound like a, a baker's field record. So what, what do you mean by that term? And then just, if you can just generally talk about the album itself and you know what was going on at that time when you were putting it out. I think this goes way back to when I was a kid working in Los Angeles and they'd send me out to make recordings of bands and they sent me to Phoenix a few times 
and they had an amazing record store there. And one of the perks of having this little job that I had was I could buy a lot of records and the label would pay for them. Hmm. That was great. So I went in the store and I, so it's the spring of 68, maybe the summer of 68. And I discovered all the Bakersfield, I discovered Buck Owens and then Merle Haggard and, and then everything else in that world at that time and all the great country music. So over the years in the seventies, I was in a country band that played, we played original tunes, but mostly we played five sets a night. That's a lot of music. Yeah. A lot of 45 minutes on, 15 minutes off. And I played the entire canon from, you know, Ernest Tubb and, you know, Kitty Wells all the way through what was going, all the way through the hideous stuff that was on the radio then. I'll give you a daisy, a daisy, all those kind of strange country songs. So anyway, that music was kind of in my blood. And then the Indiana connection through Bean Blossom, Bill Monroe, the country songs. And so, but I had no acts, you know, why was I going to put out country songs? So eventually I would, uh, you know, I just started making some country songs and I worked for a minute for a country record label, which was kind of hysterical in the early 90s. And uh, I just stayed in that. So when this came back, I feel like I'm not really doing country music. I'm not doing Margot Price. I'm not doing mainstream Nashville. I'm sure not doing Taylor Swift, you know, and, and Fakersfield. <laughs> like, I'm just like, it's fake country music, you know, in this day and age when everything, everyone says, that's fake this and fake that. You know, well, this <laughs> is my version of that. That's that's interesting because you know because I listen to a lot of this what you call the alternative country or Americana or whatever they're they're calling that now and, and that so that dates back to the era you're talking about in the late '60s and early '70s and you know, the Flying Brito Brothers and Cosmic American Music and I mean it seemed like this would fit in quite well with with that genre. If it, I think so. I mean, I just to interrupt. I mean. I had Thanksgiving 68 at the Whiskey A Go-Go. Burrito Brothers played there, and I went there, and my buddy was the bass player. I didn't really know Graham. I knew uh, Pete and the bass player real well. I didn't know Graham and Hillman. But they were like, you know, star people, and the other people were like the grunts, you know. So I was always in the trenches with the grunts, basically. And uh, so that was, so actually, yeah, I, I actually heard that band and Sneaky Pete, for anyone that cares, wore a chicken suit to Thanksgiving. <laughs> wow. That's, <laughs> I mean, there's so many people would <laughs> love to be in those that have been there. I mean, that's incredible. Well, so speaking of, of the songs, uh, we'll, we'll start with INK. Is, is it INK or is it really Ink? Or it's really I know nothing. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, and so that's what the, it is. The, and, I K N, but it oh, is, I know nothing. This goes all the way back to the fugs with nothing and the nothing concept of, of 
going back to all the the beats and the zen and the nothing nothing everything is nothing and so i just am continuing on that path yeah i like how you you were kind of the song appears at least according to the notes and listening to it, it it's almost a homage a bit to new orleans and sort of what we hear as pre-k and post-k also bob dylan makes a couple of appearances here so can you talk a little bit about the the backstory and how the song came to be especially like the beginning how the the narrators talking about witnessing you know what they witnessed over the last couple of years and how certain drinks bring back memories of forever wars uh but you know that song it's you know it's like a it's a 12 it's a ballad it's a you know waltzy ballad you know thinking about it is New Orleans. It's post New Orleans. It's post Katrina New Orleans. We're in the Marquis Bar, around the corner from Piety Street Studio. this one dude that plays tangled up in blue not just five times in a row but like 10 times in a row they finally pulled it off the jukebox so the guy would play tangled up in blue in hurricane over and over and over again so he'd be sitting there for an hour and a half and hear nothing but that song but i think the next one for nothing is uh i think more like a fakersfield song than the yeah, yeah. Total fakers. yeah it's with don song. rich it's, it's a don, it's an homage to don rich with the harmony that, that he sang with buck it's funny you mentioned you buck owens and, and don rich but it seems like lyrically this has a bit more in common with like albert camus maybe because it's it is existential in many ways at least Oh, yeah, where is that? <laughs> yes. Was there anything that kind of led you to down that path in particular? I don't know. I just think I realized I did this show in 2007, which is about when I wrote that song. And and I was, I, I was really like angry, I guess. And I didn't really realize it. And this guy came up afterwards and he just 
it's going to berated me for being so angry. And I was like, oh, I didn't realize these songs were so were angry, but I guess I was a little pissy at that point. Uh, was this one fun to, to work on and to write? It sounds like it probably was, just the way that it just kind of jumps off. The yeah, and uh, I like to play it, and I put a modulation. That was a great band we had for, a, a you know, there was downtime in the studio, and I had this James Alsander, is a great New Orleans drummer, and Joe Cabral from the Iguanas, and also a great songwriter, too. And he played bass. In the Iguanas, he plays bajo and saxophone. And then I had this serious country dude, Carol Berza, who I'd once produced for a country music label who wrote a hit for people. And But he was an amazingly, amazingly good singer and picker. I mean, I've been around all this stuff for, you know, how long? 55 years of hearing guitar players. I heard Jimi Hendrix live playing. I've heard Eric Clapton live going back in that era. I heard, I worked with Lonnie Mack. Uh, I've heard... You know, I've heard Joe Pass and Jim Hall, all these guys. Carol Bears is one of the top 25 guitar players I ever heard in my life. Yeah, I like it. I like it. I never know. <laughs> I have serious people that serious music people tell me, "I'm why are you writing that that stuff?" And then I have the songwriter people go, "Why are you making those weird pieces?" You know. So it's like I'm like I'm always like left out, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, left out by myself. So that's good. <laughs> well, that's so why I think Mushroom Crowd it made. It's, it's very different from from the one we we're just talking about and it's uh this one came out i think more recently in 2017 
So what there's it's a lot happening on this one. It's like I said, it's it's quite different. It's probably a little slicker and, and trippier than Goose and X. So what was going on with this one uh, when you were putting this one together? I mean, that was like mostly me by myself doing that. And, you know, there were a few people coming in and out. Um, Sarah Quintana, who's a really great singer, songwriter, and guitar player. And, uh, she, there's some harmonies of hers on there. But a lot of it, I just, you know, was just finding my way through. Well, we'll I, talk about. You know, there's other like, like uh, what what other songs do you have on there? Uh, uh, Boneless Jesus will go, and, and then the oh, right. dog speak. But let's go to, to Boneless Jesus because I, I I like you know, the music. It, this it, I don't know how to describe it really. It's kind of like a trip hop kind of, you know. Well, you know, you know what song that is? That I took I took a famous old song, and I just used the exact form and and made a completely different music, chords, melody, rhythm, everything on top of it. But if you look at the cadence of that song and look at the words, and you know, Paul McCartney can't sue me, but that's, uh, I saw her standing there, only it's completely like, could never tell. Yeah. And that's how music is all the same, but you know, he was just 37. He was just, just 37, going on 17. He removed his hairpiece to show me his big Wilson fist Sometimes you do that, like I think that's a great way to write songs. And I know our, you know, our great mentor, Bob Dylan, can say, I know that he's like his band and rehearses them doing covers. And then when it's really tight and they got it, he brings his own song in and say, now I want you to play this song just like we were playing that song. And so I think, you know, you go back. Poets do this. Everyone does this. You, screenwriters do it. Novelists do it. You take somebody else's form and you throw another song on it. And, you know, uh, the, whatever lords, somebody, somebody becomes a hard rain's going to fall. And, and you know, the, the call and response of gospel becomes, you know, what I say, and et cetera, et cetera. So there we are. Well, how do you, how did you, I mean, obviously, the, the Beatles are, that's it's a, it's a known song. I mean, does that stick out to you when you're like, I want to, this is what I want this to sound like. It, I don't want it to be a No, a I just started jam, jamming on it and, it, and that struck me as a funny thing. And I started working on it. And okay, I guess I had just played a gig with Jeffrey Lewis. And I don't know if we played that song, but we played all these 
Thule Kupferberg songs that he had taken Beatles songs and changed them. Like we played, I want to hold your foot. <laughs> and so Thule had all these songs. So somehow I think this was stuck. And the core of this, I'd been binge watching this show, Daredevil. And there was this character, Wilson Fisk, who is a great actor whose name escapes me now. And so I just made this. It was like it was an episode of Daredevil only uh, in a song. guy like you can't tell if the guy's straight and the other guy's hitting on him and he doesn't like that or if he's invited the guy in his home and then it turns to hell you can't really tell it wrap things up i appreciate your time tonight i know there's a storm going on and i want to be sure we get this all in uh, dog speak which is just kind of all over the place but it's a lot of fun to listen to and i kind of the first few times i listened to it i heard so many you know, different sounds and influences i mean i kind of thought you know that like early public image limited johnny rotten and keith levine were, were down in new orleans recording an album this might sound a little bit like dogs <laughs> yeah curious well, again okay there's there's 20 some dog songs woven in there quotes from them or what but yeah i tried you know there's a there's a groove around here that's a basic louisiana groove and i used a very short quote from a buzu chavis song on the accordion so everyone hears that and that's all you need and that that puts it right in this as a dog song the dog so i i've got everything from kate bush's dog songs to paul mccartney's dog songs to rufus thomas it's just to david yeah i said david bowie iggy it's just every dog song in the world makes i mean i i'm sure there's more out there but i i got as many of them in as i could Rufus Thomas walked the dog. Atomic birds dying dogs. The dog days are Mega dog. Oh, Bear love his old 
Atomic Dog. That's a good one. Atomic Dog. Yeah. Elvis. Elvis. Elvis loved his old ship, but the yeah. black-eyed dog took him down. <laughs> Winston Churchill and his black-eyed dog. I just, it was, that's like really like a dub piece. That's more, you know, <laughs> it's like Lee Perry goes to Zydeco <laughs> land or something. You know, it's... Yeah. Uh, it's definitely got a lot of stuff. It's got vocals sped up. It's got, and it's got a lot, something I've done a lot in my life with work is has a, uh, a chorus, a narrator that doesn't seem to have anything to do with the song yelling at the singer. So it has that too. wrap up no, I thank you guys for your time that i mark on them so what happens next so we have more to come obviously there's i guess 20 more albums that are coming out are, are these going to be all streaming or are they a couple of them actually be coming out physically it's hard to say at this point we had plans but it, it seems like every plan we've made in the last three years, me and everyone else included has gone awry. So I'm not sure why you should make any plans at this point. So uh, we will see. I hope to put out something on, at least on a CD. But the next ones that are coming out, the next one's coming out is called William Blake in Bakersfield. And that takes Bakersfield into a whole nother realm. It's way more, it's, there's more, you know, straight up singing and playing on that than Gooseneck, that's for sure. Um, and it's a little more pumped up than what uh, most of the country songs on Gooseneck, but way less psychedelic and weird than Mushroom Craft. And then the other one is called To and From the Afterlife. And it, I said it has spoken word on it and it has a I, the one small orchestra piece I ever wrote is on that record, and it's called To and From the Afterlife, and that's by the poet named Brad Elliott, who lives in New Orleans. And so that record is pretty dark, and it's got a, uh, a really psycho version of Bound for the Promised Land on it. <laughs> so where's the, the best way for people to find out more and get these albums that are already out? I think just go on Bandcamp and you can go on Mark Bingham page or or the um, Nouveau Electric Records page. Because we couldn't even put them on the Nouveau Electric website because there was not enough. The website wasn't set up to handle 22 records at once. So yeah, they're wow. all just being <laughs> shipped over to the Bandcamp. 
Yeah, I didn't really think of that. How hard that must be to to get all that, all those, all that data into to one place. All that data. Well, getting a getting a grip on it now. We'll see. Yeah. Okay. Well, I want to thank you thanks, for your time thanks tonight. Appreciate it. Yeah, I'll, I'll let you know. When this... Yeah, I, I admire folks like you who are able to, to to do this and make a living and make it make it work. Because I just uh, I love music. Just remember, and... just remember, I made a million dollars in the music business over fifty four years. <laughs> well, my thanks again to Mark Bingham for joining me for this episode. Thank you for listening. Go check them out, nouveauelectricrecords.com, and we can find them on Bandcamp at markbingham.bandcamp.com. 22 albums, that's a lot. There's a there's new stuff pretty much every couple months, so it's worth going up there and hitting refresh and seeing what's new. So anyway, thank you for listening. Be patient with me. Follow me on Twitter or Instagram or hit subscribe, and I will be back in touch. Thank you. <laughs>